Hello, and welcome to Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons again. I'm Peter. And I'm Izzy. I also apologize in advance if my voice might sound a little bit strange. I have a slight cold. And we're going to talk about The Owl House Season 3. So the first episode, or the first special, I guess, of The Owl House Season 3, which is only going to be three like special episodes they're all i think they're all going to be like about 40 minutes um but disney released the first one a few weeks ago i think the next two are going to be released next year i'm not totally sure when but we just thought it'd be fun just to chat about what we thought so yeah with with that being said let's just start talking Izzy, what were your general your general overview thoughts? Well, I have no idea when this is going to air, but recording this is very apt because it's right on spooky season. Halloween is just on Monday. So I hope you're in a spooky mood, listeners. It's a very spooky episode. They really timed the release quite well for the season. And it has really awesome New England Halloween fall vibes which I wasn't fully expecting like I knew Luce was from Connecticut because it's mentioned at one point earlier but it was just like so many you know fall and just kind of slight high school school vibes not a lot but my initial impression was you know wow they packed so much into this episode and the fall vibes are just a small part of it I yeah. also am just so happy that they were learning Spanish. Um, Luce's friends, you know, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen the end of season two, but of course, um, everybody goes to the human world and they start learning Spanish on this murderous um, fake babble app. It's hilarious. Yeah, the fake Duolingo with the owl. Yeah, no, I thought that was really awesome. And like, um, V does a really good job. I mean, she's been there for a while, so she's doing a great job learning Spanish. Hunter is terrible. (laughs) He's getting there. He's only been there for a little bit. But yeah, no, that was really cool seeing them learn Spanish. So, and I think you're right about just the fall vibes and the New England vibes. It did feel like very familiar as someone from New York and just, all the decorations and the colors and stuff. So that was really cool. And it was very spooky. I think the thing that kind of popped out to me was like, so so Owl House part, it is in the horror genre to a degree. And I don't think that really was that apparent in season one. Like when I watched it, I wouldn't have told you that it was horror. Season two, I think they started doing a little bit more with that. And like this episode, I was like, this, th- this was kind of scary. <laughs> and it has like that horror vibe to it for sure. Yeah. Oh my God. There were parts where I was like, is this too much spooky for me? And I'm like, I'm an adult. I can handle it. <laughs> but there are some parts where um, Belos is involved and he shows up and he's this creepy groom monster as he is at the end of season two, but even creepier somehow. I just the mixture of the skeleton and you know, cr- 
creepiness. I don't know. It it worked into a really good horror-esque aesthetic that I have to compare it to Over the Garden Wall because Over the Garden Wall also kind of manages this really good horror aesthetic that doesn't, you know, temper it for children or, you know, water it down, but keeps it at a manageable level while also having just a really rich story to go along with it and still being terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I think as someone who... I I don't want to say despises horror, but, like, I, I used to say that. Um, I think The Owl House is at a level where, for me, who's, like, never really been into horror... I'm actually finding myself kind of liking certain aspects of it. Not in, like, I don't like to be scared necessarily. And I think, like, if they were to introduce, like, you know, blood and stuff, then I'd be like, oh, no. Um, I don't like that kind of horror and I don't like people dying and whatever. But I think there's, like, this really interesting element of horror when you, like, keep out the actual, like, really graphic scary stuff. And you focus on how the horror kind of fits into and shapes the story and, like, what the characters are going through um, in this more cartoonish way. Like, I think this is a really just great level of horror for me. I think this, yeah, I wouldn't want it to get anything scarier than this, but... um but this was really good and it fits into just the whole story like they're all you know witches and stuff and bellows is some um you know witch hunter from new england who was probably there at the salem witch trials and wanted to burn witches at the stake and whatever so i think like tying it into you know just having this genre of horror in this story makes a lot of sense and it's really really cool seeing this like halloween type episode it was it was neat i'm also thinking about um i recently rewatched scooby-doo on zombie island i think i i don't remember if it's on zombie island or in zombie island or whatever but it's a fantastic scooby-doo movie from i think 1998 but i grew up with it and it's genuinely scary even though of course i watched it as a kid is that the live action one? No. Oh, okay. The live action's not bad, but um, this one is um, the gang kind of separates at the beginning of the movie, so it starts out with a totally different vibe from the other Scooby Doo movies, where they kind of go off in their separate directions, and the mystery gang breaks up, but then they come back together to do this big mystery hunt thing because Daphne has a TV show hunting around for haunted stuff in America. And so, of course, they find some haunted bayou in Louisiana with actual zombies, which is really great as another departure for the Scooby-Doo genre, because the ghosts and the zombies are real, the monsters are real. And tying it back into the Owl House, I think, you know, the danger is real, and... In some ways, horror is a really appropriate genre for kids like Courage the Cowardly Dog. I watched that as a kid, just absorbed it. Would I be too scared to watch it today? Probably. But kids can, you know, learn things from scary stuff. 
and absorb the scary things that they understand. And I diff definitely didn't get all the scariness into my head that was in Courage. But kids Courage can handle it more than you think. <laughs> and I think it also is good to, you know, make the stakes of a story or a plot line really more obvious and instead of just having a typical action sequence where somebody tragically dies, but making making something actually scary uh, makes the stakes real without having it to be action, fight. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, courage is an interesting just thing to bring up because I feel like the horror in that is different. And again, like, I just don't, I, I don't know enough about horror, so, like, the way that I'm, I, I don't think I can explain it really well. I think there's something just different about this horror where, like, courage to me felt like it was just trying to scare you. Um, and it was just random, like, creepy, weird stuff all the time. Um, I mean, maybe there was, like, some sort of message to each episode. I'm sure there was. I just didn't get it. But Owl House to me feels like there's a point beyond just being scared it's it's not all just about the horror it's about like the horror and the fantasy and the you know kids going and learning about the world and all that stuff um i can't yeah i don't know how to explain it better than that i'm also um not a horror buff as you can see my references are scooby-doo and courage the cowardly <laughs> dog i have seen you know the shining and some other things that i watched with friends i would never watch a horror movie alone but um i think it also depends on you know the genre and how they're engaging with the genre because the owl house is not only not kind of spans a few different genres of coming of age as well as the fantasy slash horror slash like i don't know if queer is a genre but like lgbtq plus representation um which was also expanded in this new episode which i loved but i think it you know courage is very more much more focused on the genre that it's trying to get at it's primarily horror or primarily um an episodic show as well so it doesn't have really the overarching plot that the owl house does have yeah that's a fair point and i think just moving on yeah um like you said the the lgbtq representation in this it was like the entire episode there was something oh my god that intro video i was like wait they changed the theme song how are they doing this without breaking canon it was fantastic <laughs> That was really cool. The little PowerPoint presentation. Yes. Just like Luz coming out as bi to her mom. That was really cute. It said Loom Lumity Productions or something. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. How are they doing this? Lumity is literally canon. <laughs> yeah. I love that because that means that Luz and Amity refer to their couple name as Lumity themselves, which I love. Yes, the word is canon. Yeah. In the in the story. Yeah. Which was really neat. There was a time jump and I do wish we had seen some of the summer, but I appreciate the way that they handled the time jump because it would just be too much. 
and it probably would have felt really disjointed to be like 10 minutes of summer and now we're in the fall yeah and i think too i mean i talked with um the great andy rutherford about this too (laughs) and we i think we both came away from watching this episode with similar thoughts where we both really liked it but it was clearly rushed and not in the sense or not rushed it's clear that they have so much more that they want to tell and that they could have told um but obviously because disney canceled them like they don't have the time for that so having these montages i mean there's the the two montages i think it was really like those were both really well done and even though it's disappointing that we can't see like an episode for each thing in those montages um like there's one picture of like amity and luce going and getting milkshakes like that would have been really cool having like a date on the town in the human realm episode but because they can't do that um they have to find these other ways of showing you that these things happened and i think they did like the best that they could and i do love the montages like the part where willow goes through her scrapbook i was like pause 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 must see every picture yeah there was that like amity and loose in the rain um them working on the portal door it's like there's just there's too much to have drawn it out given the time that they had but yeah yeah i do wish we had had that because i mean partly because there's such a psychological shift in the character mostly in loose because well also i suppose for the other characters because by the time the main action of the episode happens it's they've been in the human world for a few months and they're not heartbroken um the way that you would expect them to be immediately after coming to the human world which is understandable that they've had time to process and heal and they're not walking around like heavy-hearted the way that they would be immediately after arriving but it did as a viewer i was still expecting them to you know be carrying a little bit more of that heaviness uh so that's the other half of the cast felt like a little bit cheerier than i was immediately expecting versus loose who had so much time over the montage of the summer to stew and really get to a much darker place than i was expecting her to be in by the time we got to her but i thought it was very interesting to see the way that luce's character developed and also her mom is just amazing i love camila yeah no uh, camila's incredible and it's kind of terrible that people were like oh camilla is such a bad parent when the show first came out what but well i mean she sent her to a camp but like even from that you could tell that she really cared about her daughter yeah she made one bad choice based on the advice of someone else obviously we didn't know that at the time Mm -hmm. but she was still a good mother in like the first episode and it's just like good to see confirmation of like how incredible she is in this episode and seeing everything that she does for Luce. So that was really cool. And also finding more about Luce's father who had literally nothing mentioned about him before this episode, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's like much information that we had about him other than that he died 
I didn't even remember the fact that he was dead. <laughs> okay. That was, um, they talked about that in the episode where Amity, like, joins that fighting competition. That oh! Was, like, yeah. That was Luce's whole, the whole episode was, like, Luce avoiding thinking about her dad. I forgot about that. Not an important episode, of course, but... <laughs> well, I, you know, it's been a bit since I watched season two, but that was a good one. But yeah, this is like the first time we get like actual information about him to a certain degree. Um, I mean, his obsession with like the the Star Trek thing. The um, fake Star Trek. Fake Star Trek. And it was, it seems like um, Camilla was also really into that. So like maybe that's how they bonded, which... That's a really cute and fun idea. Um, yeah, and then just like, you know, we get Luce's video diaries of like why they moved to Gravesfield and um, more about, I, I mean, the dad like apparently was sick, so they needed to go and like be close to some better hospitals. Um, and then we find out about the Azora books and that, you know, he he gave Luce the first book, um, I guess, like, right at the end, which is kind of sad. Yeah. I don't know if, like, he read them beforehand or if he was, like, you know, too sick and he just needed to find something. So this was, like, a quick gift. Like, I don't know what, you know, what actual sickness he, he had um, and how much time he had to, like, go find a gift. So... I think it'd be really interesting if we find out later that, like, this was his favorite book series growing up or something. But I don't know. But it was still, like, a really neat connection. Yeah. I love the flashback where, um, also the tie in the flashback where Luce is playing on the playground and she finds the little snake skin and she's like, it's the pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> and then her mom's reaction is like oh she called it a she called it pajamas and she thinks it's cute and the fact that her mom is a veterinarian and that she would you know obviously relate and understand you know her daughter's interest in the animal world and then everyone else is just like why does she like snakes like that yeah and i'm sure like camilla you know taught her all that stuff too mm -hmm. like they probably were on a hike somewhere and camilla's like oh, like, look at this snakeskin that I just found or whatever. So it's cool seeing Luce, um, you know, clearly relate to her mom's interests as well. Yeah. I love that with the revelation of the giant Star Trek nerds that her parents clearly were, that Luce isn't just, you know, the kid who just happens to be different from her parents and her parents don't understand her. It's that her family is a family of nerds and she was born a nerd and two nerd parents raised her. Um, so I just think it's really great that, you know, we were kind of in certain ways, definitely her parents didn't fully understand her growing up probably. And just like her being her own person separate from her parents is a thing, but they clearly understood her in ways that other people didn't. When she was growing up and i like that she grew up in a supportive family like that and it wasn't just yeah, her sure. by herself because that's such a trope of the child being like nobody understands me 
Yeah. And it's exciting too, like thinking about that and now having Camilla going back with her to the demon realm too. So I'm I'm excited to see, you know, what Camilla does there and what happens next. Yes, I'm such a fan of these tropes of versions of like this kid isn't the lonely kid that no one understands and her parents aren't unsupportive who lock her up because she's doing dangerous things they actively join her in doing the dangerous things and also the thing with younger media or media with younger protagonists with where the parents just have to be removed with plot devices or the adults just have to be removed some unbelievable way or they just have to be extremely irresponsible and willing to risk the lives of children and this is so much better than that because her mom is like i'm gonna fight with you yeah i don't think i can really think of like too many similar stories with like the parents actually there like off the top of my head spy kids spy kids oh i don't remember spy kids i don't remember it much but I mean, also, it, it kind of started with following the trope where they were like, we're going to go and be spies, even though our parents don't want to. But then the parents changed their minds and they're a great team. But no, I think Owl House, like, like you said, it did a great job of having Camilla in there. I mean, at first, like, obviously, yes, they got rid of her for seasons one and two, but having her back and this episode really focused a lot on her and like, it's it's nice that we're gonna get more of her too, and I'm just so excited to like see to see what she thinks about the demon realm and just like seeing her take such good care of the kids and like she's teaching them Spanish and she's trying to figure out what foods they like. Um, <laughs> her confusion about like the apple blood that was it, it's just nice to see her and like to see her trying her best to be the amazing mom that she is. Yeah, I thought it was really hilarious that the kids were just like, instead of, you know, putting, trying, even attempting to put things into the human world terms, they were like, you get apple blood from the apple butcher. And then no other explanation seems to have been given. And I'm like, oh, okay. But is that like, is there a human term for that? Because is apple blood apple juice? I don't know. If there's a word in another language and there's no direct translation, you try to use words that are you know, vaguely like it to kind of be like, it's kind of like an apple or like a fruit that you don't have. And you're like, well, it tastes kind of like a in between an apple and a pineapple, but they don't seem to have done any of that kind of, you know, triangulation of apple blood. They're just like, it's a thing. There you go. Which is funny. But that also makes me think that it literally isn't something that we have in the human realm. Like, I think is it even similar to a fruit? I don't know. I like I don't know what it is, but I I get the feeling that it's something just like completely different that can't translate. Yeah, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, but yeah, it's making <laughs> me think of I mean, clearly some things translate like giraffes. We saw how horrifying they really are. Um <laughs> that was I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm going to retcon that for myself because I like giraffes. I don't want to be thinking of that horrific tiny moment. But um, I feel like there are still ways that you could approximate describing apple blood. Or, you know, how do you describe a concept that nobody has heard of? Or like if 
somebody doesn't know what zero is. How do you describe what the concept of zero is? I feel like there are ways, but it, it also speaks to the age of the characters. And they're learning at the same time that Camila is learning, which I think is good. Yeah, no, they're definitely <laughs> they're having some fun being uh, confused by the human realm. <laughs> which was the other montage, which was just amazing. And I loved like <laughs> Amity going to the library and trying to <laughs> look at the um the book catalog <laughs> which i don't know if that reference is like too too dated for people right now well i know what a card catalog my library did not have card catalogs but i ha- volunteered in a library that did but it's yeah i don't know how many of the actual children watching this would know what that is they're probably just confused like, why is there a random wall of shelves in the Extremely tiny oh, shelves too. Little cupboards. But no, it was it was super funny just seeing Amity like I I think that the the card catalogs are like alive at um the library in the demon realm. So seeing her just like try bowing to them and then feeding them was really funny. <laughs> yeah. And then just like falling in public. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Amity. Yeah. I loved when they went back to the um, historical society and um, they're all like, whoa, what is all of this? And then they had a actually good tour guide person explain things to them and they were like, oh yeah, it's a rebus and figured the puzzle out immediately. I love it when side characters are actually, you know, effective and helpful and not just kind of bumbling around although some of them are good like the cabbage mer- merchant he does he can bumble oh the cabbage merchant is amazing yeah no and they got rid of the crazy alien flat earther <laughs> the work at the uh at the historical society so and they just replaced him with uh, azula whose actual character name i'm forgetting i think it was masha yes Masha is actually competent and really cool mm-hmm. and it's just another example of the, the representation in this episode is it the first is Masha the first non-binary character like officially or were there others that I um there was a, a very very minor character named Rain Whispers oh I'm so dumb <laughs> <laughs> oh yes was Masha the first one Rain doesn't exist no, but um, this is the first person who, like, they spelled it out. They literally have their name card. So that was really cool. You know, everybody in the demon realm doesn't exist right now. We haven't gone back yet. No, but it was it was cool seeing, like, it in the human realm. Um, just all, like, this different representation. Because, like, in the demon realm, it's just, like, it's very normal. Um, like, no one, no one seemed to care. Like Amity's mom wasn't disappointed that Amity was dating a girl. She's just disappointed that it was loose. <laughs> so, so it's interesting seeing like now coming back to the human realm where things are different, and you know, Luce has to tell her mom, and um, I'm sure Masha has had to like go through a bunch of stuff too. But like, it's cool that Masha's there, and is a really great storyteller. I love how. 
I mean, it had to be, you know, to the point for plot delivery purposes, but I love that the story that they told was just exactly the story of how Philip and what's his, Caleb came to Gravesfield and really told it great with amazing props, much more than you'd expect from some little town historical society. Yeah, I mean, Gravesfield goes all out, apparently. And it helps that, like, Azula's the voice yeah. of this, like, scary story. Yeah, I think, for those who are curious, I think her actress's name is Grey Delisle. But she is fantastic. Oh, so amazing. She does a lot of other background voices as well throughout the show, and I can always tell because very distinctive voice. She does a lot of, like, I don't know of any other, like, main characters that she does in any other shows, but, like, she does a lot of background voices for so many shows. She was, like, the Snakes and Kipo, um, which was amazing. She pops up, like, all over the place. She's just incredible. She did a great job here. I want to say she was one of the versions of Daphne from Scooby-Doo. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm look. I'm using Google. She was Daphne from Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, that TV show. And apparently also What's New Scooby-Doo, the other TV show. There's so many Scooby-Doo TV shows. So many Scooby-Doos. I want to watch that movie Scoob that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah. But that's irrelevant. No, so that was really cool. I mean, Gravesfield is all... I'm, I'm sure it's just like really goes all in for halloween i mean obviously i love um, the fake new england town name is gravesfield really appreciate it it honestly feels like very new england i mm-hmm. mean the name and the the setting like i think i think they just did a good job of nailing new england and it's kind of really cool like seeing connecticut as the <laughs> the main setting for a show like this I feel like a lot of other stuff is like, I mean, New York City gets a lot of attention. Um, California, like Amphibia took place in California. Connecticut, like nothing happens in Connecticut, really. Or at least like that's the general, like, if you talk to New Yorkers, um, our kind of <laughs> generalized opinion of Connecticut is like, okay. <laughs> so Wait, I'm remembering, I think... I just rewatched Beetlejuice, and I think Beetlejuice might take place in Connecticut because the rich family that moves into the haunted house wants to get away from the city, so they buy a, an old house in Connecticut. Ooh, okay, maybe. I've never seen it, but yeah, I don't think I don't think Connecticut gets enough just positivity around it in movies and shows and stuff. I could be wrong. I don't watch that many different movies and shows. But it was still really cool seeing Connecticut in this. I don't have strong feelings about Connecticut because I'm not from there or really from New England. But um, I think it exists in different things. I have never tried paying attention to it. <laughs> Who knows? No, but it's a it's a nice state. It has some cool stuff. I think. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Neither of us are very informed on this topic. Moving on. I see Connecticut from across the the Long Island Sound. It's always in the distance on the horizon. 
<laughs> well, to tie it into New England in general, it made me think a lot of Over the Garden Wall because they do just really nail that atmosphere of, you know, the turning of the seasons and a very specific feeling that is in New England. I actually don't know if I've ever been. No, of course I've been in New England in the fall because I went up to school in New York, but not New England. Technically not, but I consider it. I don't care if that's wrong. It's New England in my heart. Similar. I mean, technically, like I think Eastern Long Island counts. Why? In some, in some minds, Eastern Long Island, like the North Fork, Hamptons, no. Um, like Southold, that to a lot of people is considered New England. I'll take but your word for it. It it has a similar vibe. Although New England is still a little bit different, um, the greater the greater New England area, but no, just the all the vibes of this show were were super good. Um, I guess the one thing I'm really curious about too is Elos and like what his plans are, because I remember watching season two and like the collector came in. And this was a disagreement I had with, with the great Andy Rutherford. <laughs> but I, at this moment, I don't really care about the collector all that much. Um, I don't think they're interesting. Like, I think they're just a chaos demon person. But you've seen Gravity um, Falls, right? Yes. And I was literally going to say they remind me of Bill Cipher. And I never really liked Bill. Um, I know so many people love him and he's this beloved villain. He's so just uninteresting to me. Like Gravity Falls really is amazing when it focuses on the relationship between the siblings, between the, the Stans and Dipper and Mabel. And I think like Bill, I I I, I think other villains could have just done like the same thing and they could have pushed the relationships in similar or different ways like i think bill is not interesting like in and of himself and i don't think he does anything unique to the story i think he's just like chaos and i was like okay i'm not that interested and i think the collector to me like reminds me so much of bill at this point and i'm just like eh I think Bellos is by far like so much more interesting. You can get into like talks about colonialism because clearly like, you know, it's not just the, the hunting of the witches and like this idea of like him as a missionary, although that kind of plays into it as well, because that's a lot of what colonialism is. So it's it's literally him going to this new world and slowly taking over and converting all these people. And telling them, like, oh, I'm bringing this idea that if you, like, accept this idea and you accept the covens and this system of belief and whatever, then you will be granted paradise. <laughs> Which literally just feels such, like, so colonial missionary. Um, and I, I just think it's really interesting thinking about him from that perspective. And I think a character like the Collector just doesn't do that. Like just pure chaos for like no reason is just it I'm not interested. <laughs> so 
I mean, I maybe a little bit of my bias against some certain child characters is coming up, but I was not a fan of the collector of like his shtick is that he's some little kid, but also pure evil, pure chaos. I mean, like it doesn't work for me either. But um, I was also not a big fan of Bill Cipher. But I, you're not supposed to like. I guess Bill Cipher is supposed to be a dick, but I didn't like it. I wasn't compelled by him, and I'm also not compelled by the collector because they don't. Their motivation is just that they're creatures of chaos, and there's not really a deeper character motive there. As far as we know, for the collector now, like that could change, but right now, yeah, it, yeah. I don't want to sell him too short yet, but I also just, I don't really like the little kid kind of, I find there are certain kid characters that are really endearing, like, you know, the Home Alone kid, um, Kevin, but in general, little kid characters should be side characters, not main characters, unless it's Avatar, where they're, you know, capable of walking and talking and thinking and doing things that aren't just, well, I find them annoying and just the way he's like, let's play tag, and I'm like, this, this is so, it, it's off-putting to me personally. Yeah, and not that it can't work, because, like, I'm thinking now of Kipo with the, um, with Fun Gus. That annoyed me. <laughs> he, I liked him. It was a good, that what that worked because, that worked because it was contained to one episode, and it was, um, you know, not supposed to be the big baddie of the whole show yeah but i also think like with him you can at least talk about like oh he is childish and chaotic because he's tied to one spot and like the whole story of kipo is like kipo going and traveling and meeting other people and her worldview is changing and she's learning and growing and like fungus literally cannot do that he is literally tethered to one spot and then it's more interesting when you like get to the end and amelia is like thrown into that pit and fungus like takes her for the rest of her life um so i think like gus is gus has some interesting and compelling characteristics to him at least in my mind whereas like the collector right now is like literally just chaos and just a tool that bellows thought he could use for bellows to go about his actual interesting terrible but interesting <laughs> evil villain plans so I'm just excited that Belos is like still alive and that he's going back. I think like I was mildly concerned that like, oh, they would defeat Belos this time and then go and like into the demon realm and just face the collector. And I'm glad that is not the case. I'm just so excited about Belos still being here. Yeah, I'm also glad they didn't completely do away with him because it would also feel a little bit like the whole center of the show that they had built it around, which was him, would just be gone if he was fully gone. And he really, at this point, I'm much more, even though the power differential is very obvious, I'm much more scared of Bellos than I am of the Collector. Partly because we don't know that the Collector has any particular motive, like, or malicious motive towards harming the main characters. I mean... Probably doesn't have good motives for them, or good intentions, but we don't know that they're really out to get anybody at this point, in particular. 
Yeah. And I think the fact, too, that this was like such a there was such a time jump in this episode, too, makes me feel like if something really bad was going on, like Dana Terrace and the other writers probably would have gotten them back to the demon realm earlier. Because like how bad I'm sure Ida and like King and Hootie are all going to be fine. And it's been like however many months. So I'm not so sure about that. They could be living in fear and hiding. Who knows? But even that is, like, not that terrible when you think of, like, when we were introduced to the Collector, they were, like, tearing apart the world. So maybe they got bored of, like, you know, tearing everything up and Ada and King and everyone can, like, live and hide in fear. (laughs) And it's not, like, that terrible. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for plot reasons, the collector cannot destroy the world because then they'd have nowhere to go back to. But I don't know what level of awful they're going to be going to. I don't know. We we will see. But I am excited that Bellos is... If, I hate him, but like, it's a compelled hate. It's not just... I wish you weren't on the screen right now, Collector, because you're, you annoy me. <laughs> yeah, no, Bellos is a good character. He's evil, but he's he's interesting. I also thought it was very interesting. Bellos is the, or I'm going to call him Philip from now on. Philip is the younger child, or the younger brother. So I guess in a way, it's sort of like the massive inferiority complex compared to his older brother, Caleb. But also just what are the evolutions of his psychological state that got him to be so different from his brother who we're pretty much told by Masha had some kind of relationship with a witch and was really open-minded and way different. And then somehow Philip, instead of being convinced to be more open-minded by his brother, just really dug in his heels and went the complete opposite way yeah i mean i'm curious like what happened with caleb and why caleb was able to not be terrible to a witch yeah like again i'm sure disney's not gonna get like very into it but like it's pretty clear that they were both you know witch hunters witch hunter but like you know, they come from this Christian um, colonial, like, background, which was, like, super frightened of witches. Mm-hmm. So what happened that allowed Caleb to, you know, start a relationship with a witch? I think that's more interesting. I can kind of see, like, Bellos, if that's the route that they wanted to take, I can kind of see Bellos being like, oh, but, like, this goes against our beliefs and whatever, and you know, digging in that way. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily going to go that route. And I think I- I'm hoping and I think they will talk a-, a little bit more about like, you know, why Bellos is doing everything he's doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I am excited to see more. And like, hopefully Bellos actually tells us like what was going on and like what he was thinking. I want him to have a a bad guy monologue. I want to know what's what's up. I am looking forward to that bad guy monologue. 
Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, his brother shouldn't have really been all gung-ho for becoming friends with anybody from the Boiling Isles, but yet he did. There's something interesting there. And we only have, like, 80 minutes to, to get into it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be a thing of, like, if he first met the witch in the Boiling Isles instead of in the human world, or if he was in a situation where he was helpless in the Boiling Isles and had to rely on a witch for help, then by necessity he could have gradually opened up. I don't know, does time move linearly? Like, does it match up one-to-one between these worlds? I think it does. Or at least, like, closely, if not exactly. Because he could be, I was thinking maybe he could have spent, like, way longer in the Boiling Isles and then comes back completely changed and not much time has passed in the human world, but that wouldn't be the case. I don't know. But maybe he left, uh... Philip all alone and Philip was like you abandoned me how dare you um and comes back and is like hey everything's good I like witches now and Philip's like you've been gone for years and they don't get along yeah maybe that tied into the the blasphemy of it all yeah although I have a feeling they it sounded more like they traveled to the boiling isles together initially but they had to have been separated at some point, otherwise they couldn't have such diverging perceptions and developments as people, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm also curious, too, like, who, what actually happened, like, to Caleb? And I think there's this idea that Philip killed him, which... I don't know if the, the show, like, is trying to hint at that, and there might be stuff I'm just forgetting about from season two. Or did the relationship with the witch go south somehow? And Philip like, was then like, oh, not only, like, did you like this witch, but it turned out that you were wrong, and, like, they are dangerous, just like I originally said they were. And now, like, Philip is just annoyed um he's angry at like the witches for taking his brother and like hoodwinking him and eventually killing him if that's what happened but i'm not again like not sure Mm -hmm. i had the i don't remember specifics from season two but i had the feeling that they were hinting more heavily that philip did kill caleb but also there could have been some genuine danger that they were in but then I still think that the ultimate killing blow was from Philip. I think you're right. It's, I'm, I'm not sure where that information comes from, but... I feel like it was the, the time travel episode. episode. Oh, maybe. Oh, it could have been the Hollow Mind one, too. I'm not sure. There's there's roots for them to take with this, uh, this Philip guy. Yeah. It, I do think maybe... His whole grandiosity did come from, since he's the younger brother, came from feeling overshadowed by the older brother. And maybe a sense of betrayal when his brother sort of 
grew as a person and became less hateful. And he was like, how dare you? Yeah, maybe. I We definitely need way more information. Yeah. These are just a shot in the dark. Maybe he had his life saved by a witch. Is there anything else that stood out to you? I mean, just the goo possession that Hunter went through was just so awful. Also, the fact that Luce has an eyebrow scar, and maybe it's just the other characters I've seen. I can't think of any specific characters, but there's other characters with, like, the eyebrow scar, and I'm like, couldn't you have given her the scar in a different location? It feels like I've seen it before. There's a lot of eye scars. Yeah, the, it just feels like she could have gotten a scar somewhere else that's more original. But that's a small quibble. Um, I yeah. think Hunter's scars from being possessed are way more interesting and also like, oh man, he's gone through so much and he was making such good strides and now he has to go back to the world that he hates. <laughs> yeah, poor Hunter. And also and like, Flapjack! <laughs> yeah, we should have mentioned Flapjack way earlier. Yeah. Poor Flapjack. I don't know, I'm kind of... There's this moment of like hope at the end, though, that I'm not sure Flapjack is is deceased. I did not feel that hope. Um. Oh, but like when Hunter is going through the portal and he's like, "Time to go home, Flapjack." I'm kind of like. It's because know, their getting... essences blended together because Flapjack gave his life, or his life force, or whatever. Yes, I think Flapjack lives on within Hunter. Yeah. I don't know if it's literally the same, what you're thinking, but yes. Also, I feel like um, Philip Bellos might have called Flapjack Evelyn, and I'm like, wait, wasn't that the witch's name from Masha's story? Like, did Flapjack originally, was Flapjack the witch that Caleb was in love with, and then it turned got turned into a palisman? But that could just be me mishearing something. No, that's what everyone has been, like, I've, I've been listening to other podcasts and reviews and stuff. Um, and that seems to be what people are thinking. Like, oh, was Flapjack Evelyn? I, my interpretation of that was literally like, um, I don't have a good example of it, but I'm sure there's like some book or movie where like someone, like let's say there's a character who's like, has this bad past with someone and they want to get rid of those memories or like signals or whatever that points out that th this other person even exists um it's like maybe there's a like a glass vase that like their evil other person gave to them once and now they don't want to see it anymore and then they they smash the vase and they're like ha ha like jim um like the vase isn't Jim, but like the person's talking out loud and being like, you know, finally getting rid of this symbol that reminded them of this person. Oh, so like, so Flapjack could just, have been Evelyn's talisman. I think that's the most likely thing, or it has some tie to Evelyn. Um, and Bellos, he's he's not literally killing the witch he's like killing what he hopes is like the last memory of this witch and like what she did to caleb in his mind so i don't think flapjack is literally 
um, Evelyn. I think he just reminds Bellos of her, if that makes sense. Okay, that would make sense. I was just full on ready to be like, Flapjack has been cursed slash magicked for safety or something in from which to Palosman. Let's go. But that also makes a lot more sense because I don't want to think of Flapjack having such a sad existence like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, it could, Flapjack could still be the witch um, or or Evelyn or Evelyn. Now, your theory sounds more plausible. Also, I don't think it was a coincidence that Evelyn sounds like Edelyn. I think the, um, what's it called? I want to say Ravenclaw, but it wasn't. <laughs> Clawthorn. The Clawthorn line goes back a long time. I would yeah. not be surprised. My original thought was, because in the episode um, Yesterday's Live, Luce goes into the human realm, like when she's in the mirrors and everything. Mm-hmm. She goes into the cafe um, with like the talking rats behind it. But when she's in the cafe, I thought the the barista person was like, oh, we used to get this person evil in in here all the time. And I haven't gone back to like double check that, but like I really should. Because I thought like Ida went to the human realm and like Evelyn was her cover name. Which I mean, maybe it is and like this Evelyn is still a different Evelyn. But I was thinking like, wait, what if it is Ida? And she like went through some time pool or something. um, And interacted with Philip and Caleb back then. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's more likely, in my mind at least, that it was one of her ancestors. Um, I also don't remember the cafe scene, but her full name sounds just so, like, Edelin and Evelyn are so similar. They've got to be related in some way, if not by time travel or what have you. Yeah. And the Titan's blood vial had, like, the... The little Owlbert symbol on it too. Yeah, I saw that. If it isn't actually Ida, then it's probably a Clawthorn. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. We're kind of getting into like, you know, destiny and fate territory, which I'm not thrilled about. But it's still kind of interesting. <laughs> well, I think it's also interesting that, like, not just like fate, but. I guess the best I can think of right now is like poetic justice of like it started with the Clawthorn family. So it's going to end with the Clawthorn family being involved is kind of fitting and not like necessarily that they were destined or anything. But, you know, they're a strong witch family and probably I'm guessing they were back in the day of the colonialist Amer- colonial America. Uh, and maybe I, I'm going to say that they were also kind of rebellious and rule breakers and somebody who'd be willing to befriend some random magicless human would be a cloth word. Yeah, probably. And like the, you know, the door was probably like theirs for generations. Because mm-hmm. I think Ida found it like in her backyard or something. 
I thought she so. said she found it in a trash heap, but I could be wrong. Well, because we literally see her finding it in like one of her flashback scenes. I forgot about that. I think it was in the the hoodie episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like she was running away from home and like she literally just stumbled into it. Um, I think like close to her house. Uh-huh. So I like maybe her ancestors just like forgot about it for for a while, but I think you're right. They probably like just went and did stuff in the human realm. I don't know. I'm super curious. Mm-hmm. Well, there is travel in general between the human realm because giraffes, first of all, and I want to know how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> and so it can't just be the one door. There has to be other, you know, weak spots in the fabric of the universe or whatever that allow travel beyond just the door but the door is just a particular harnessing of it yeah i mean there is like you know eclipse lake was a point where people probably like came through at some point oh yeah so like areas where the titan's blood like wells up in different pools and stuff but i don't know because that too feels like it's more like sometimes they're portals and sometimes they're not Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was any like formalized portals anywhere. So I'm, I have thoughts about the drafts and like I'm not sure <laughs> what happened with them. <laughs> Gus or someone says that they were literally expelled or there was a decision that they all had to leave. So that decision couldn't have been made if there was just like maybe the portal will be here to- one day. Like there had to be an exit clearly defined Ida says in the first episode we banished those freaks ages ago or something like that (laughs) yeah um which kind of makes me think because like again I think that the door like I think there's only one door I mean yeah I would agree there's probably one door door yeah so and if Ida's family has had that door for generations then who's the we who banished the giraffes I thought it may have been Ida, but because I wasn't thinking that the door went back like for generations and like maybe she found a tide pool, a time pool, um, and like went back in time and like sent the giraffes back. <laughs> but I'm kind of thinking like now maybe it was like her ancestors specifically who got rid of the giraffes. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Or it could be that the Clothorn family hasn't necessarily owned the door forever. But I still like my theory that the door is, like, only one of other portals. And that there was, like, maybe less reliable. But the giraffes were just pushed through Eclipse Lake or something like that. I don't know. I like the idea of Ida's family getting rid of them personally. I just... Their family hasn't... Maybe it's because there hasn't been the time devoted to it. But their family doesn't seem like they have that kind of historical social cachet. They don't seem like they were the ones that were in a position to banish anyone like that. But maybe that things changed in a few hundred years, maybe. No, I think you're right about that. But I also think, like, based off of what we see of Ida, who's willing to just do, like, anything, sometimes just, like, on a whim, I'm kind of curious if her ancestors just got, like, annoyed with giraffes one day. (laughs) Because the other thing, like, we saw saw the giraffes at the zoo. and I don't think they were that like weird enough to warrant them being banished from the demon realm where we've literally seen far weirder. I'm thinking back to the 
tentacle puppet episode with the giant squid thing that Ida just eats when it becomes tiny. That guy was far scarier yeah. and stranger than the giraffe. Yeah. So I think this is a personal feud. I don't think giraffes really... I, I don't think there was a collective agreement amongst the witches to banish them. <laughs> well, it, I think the witches were, did not... Clearly, they didn't have a centralized government before Bellos slash Philip showed up. So I don't think there would have needed to be some kind of centralized decision or vote. It could have just been one town that was, like, sick of giraffes. <laughs> I mean, maybe... I was kind of hoping if we got a full season three that like they would take the giraffes and like maybe the giraffes like had some like ancestral memory of like where they came into the human realm from. Oh. And like the kids would be able to like ride the giraffes back into the demon realm. <laughs> so I'm kind of disappointed that didn't happen, but I'm still thrilled that they went to see the giraffe. <laughs> yeah, that would have been actually pretty fun. Uh <laughs> I do, I mean, on the one hand, it makes sense that they had, like, this whole little portal with the Titan's blood that Philip slash Caleb had worked out, um, but I was kind of hoping that they would, like, take advantage of other kinds of portals, like tripping over a wall the wrong way, or walking through a mirror, and just to take advantage of different kinds of portals, but, I mean, the magic system working on Titan blood also is making sense. And it's consistent. Yeah. And again, like, I think if they had more time, they would have found, like, a more interesting way to get them back. But limited amount of time. Well, I think it's not that it, it's not that it wasn't interesting. I was just hoping for it personally. Yeah. Oh, well. More like Alice in Wonderland style of, like, oh, it's a rabbit hole. I'm sure there has to be, like, other portals or something. Mm -hmm. Other ways to get there. I think you're right. But anyway, um, I've almost exhausted my thoughts on this new episode. Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything else. Other than, like, I mean, the character designs were amazing. Hunter is just incredible. Um, I love the Hunter and Loose moment. Mm -hmm. I love their new outfits. Also, just how much money did they spend on those clothes? They look so good. But <laughs> I mean, Amity's design is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love her, her hair now. Oh, yeah. I like that. She, I mean, she. I guess she could have chosen to get her hair dyed again in the human world, but I like that she's letting it grow out. Also, I yeah. guess, is Willow's hair just actually green? I think her hair has, like, this greenish tinge to it, but I think she also dyed, like, a, a little streak of it green. Okay. I'm... Wait, I might be... No, I was misremembering. I... Maybe I was remembering Luce wearing the Azura wig or something, because I remember seeing someone with fully green hair, and I was like, it was Willow. Oh, that was... I mean, Luce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the costumes are amazing. Azura and Hecate. Finally. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was just great to see how they were growing through their change in clothing as well. Gus looks fantastic. Yeah, he's starting to, you know, not just be a little 
I mean, he he had gone through puberty really fast for that one episode. But <laughs> you know, he feels like he's more of a genuinely crossed over into the teenager zone. Yeah, and Hunter just mm-hmm. he's he's a goofball, and it's amazing. And I love that's one of my favorite moments is just like him dressing up in his outfit when they're all like trying to like go out into the human realm, like not when it's Halloween. He dresses up as the Star Trek guy. Yeah. And Amity's like, that's not a human outfit. And he's like, yes, it is. This book said so. And it's, I think it was like V who's like, but this is a book from the 1980s about like 2008. I think, well, that one part I had a slight issue with because I was like, they were like, whenever 2008 is. And I'm like, you guys don't know the year. Luce had to have told them what year it was, but. That aside, I thought that whole bit was very funny, and I really loved that Willow was like, yes, wear that. (laughs) No, Willow was funny. I don't know. I love that they don't know when 2008 is, though. And it's so much funnier, like, if it passed, which it probably did. Well, they have smartphones, so yeah. Yeah. The world's not ready for for a year that already happened (laughs) years ago. We're so, we're so 2008, you're so 2000 and late. <laughs> but that moment was great. And like the, um, definitely, I think Willow's reaction was hysterical. Yeah. It's just good to see Hunter having people who are supportive around him. Yes. I'm nervous about him going back to the demon realm, but. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, it was really funny to see like the fake Star Trek books being like just carbon copy into space of their whole situation being like oh it's a clone he's a grimwalker and it's like just nice to sort of have a low-key exploration of him processing his feelings through reading those books yeah and again like not in a a way that we get a lot of time Mm -hmm. and again like it, it could have been a full episode but it should have been a full episode but oh well yeah still super neat Thank you for listening, readers, and um, did I say readers? Anyways, I hope you all had a wonderful time listening to our thoughts and scheming about what could be coming in the Owl House, and we're looking forward to discussing the next two episodes when they come out with you all. So stay tuned, listeners, and have a spooky season. And also check out our Patreon. The link is in the description. We'd love it if you'd want to support us in the show but if not that's also totally fine and as an extra bonus you can check out peter's stories on ink it so go ahead look them up they're amazing bye for now This could be a blooper, but I love that they painted Hootie in the most demonic way on the door to their clubhouse.